Épisode 23, Notre-Dame. everybody and welcome back to the How to Play podcast. This is episode 23 and today we will be talking about Notre Dame or Notre Dame as us Americans like to call it. This is your host Ryan Sturm and this episode was recorded on November 21st, 2010. If this is your first time listening to How to Play, well thanks for giving us a listen. We are a podcast all about learning and teaching games. In this podcast, I'm going to give an explanation of how to play the game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. The podcast is intended to be used to learn about a game you may not know much about, to learn how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. How to Play's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. And our discussion forum for the show is on the Guild at Board Game Geek, so I hope you'll join up and discuss the show or any topic you'd like about learning and teaching games. If you want a hard copy reference of how to play this game, you can download the How to Play Teaching Guides, which are essentially outlines of the explanation you're about to hear. You can print it out and use it to assist you the next time you need to teach the game. Also, search for the How to Play Geek list on Board Game Geek for links to all the episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums. I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. If you enjoy How to Play resources, please consider making a donation. You can make a PayPal donation there at the website. And if you'd like, I can even send you out a How to Play t-shirt as a thank you for your donation. Now let's get to today's game, Notre Dame. This game was designed by one of my favorite designers, Stefan Feld. It was released in the year 2007. It plays with between two and five players, but I recommend playing it with three or four. I love this game. I've played it over 150 times, and it ranks right up there as one of my favorites. The things I love about this game is the tension in the game and the learning curve that's involved in this game, while really trying to find some way to still score victory points. And the more and more you play this game, the more and more you learn. As I've said, I've played it over a hundred times, and in getting ready for this episode, it really gave me an itching to want to play it again. This is really a game you can get a lot of value out of, because it's very replayable. You can just play it over and over and over again, and continue to enjoy it. It really has a nice playtime of just around an hour. So if you're looking for a game at the end of the night, with a little bit of choices to it, but isn't going to keep you up till 1am, this is a great choice. Once you know the game, you can play it in just over an hour, with three or four players. Complexity rating. I rate this game a blue square. This game is appropriate for gamers or for non-gamers that you want to introduce to some more strategic games. There's not really that many rules to the game. The hardest part of the game is learning and remembering the nine different possible actions and the 15 person cards. And because of that, this is a game that I really recommend that you play multiple times. And you should have people who would be interested in playing the same game two or three times to really become familiar with it and really try to get good at it. Because it really gets better once you're familiar with all the elements of the game. And I'll talk more about this later. So let's get into it. The how to play structure, for those of you new to it, is we have a hook, which gives you the introduction. We get into the meat of the rules. And finally, a hamster to give you some basic strategy to get started. Then we'll wrap up with some vegetables, some of the smaller rules that may be missed, and some musings. In the musings for today, I have two interesting topics. I'm going to talk about a plague that's afflicting the gaming community. I also am going to give a few little overviews and opinions of other games by this excellent designer, Stefan Feld. So stay tuned for that. 
And as always, the best case scenario is if you have the game and you can look at the components as I describe the game, that's the best scenario for learning this game. If you don't, then I really suggest you go on BoardGameGeek, look at some pictures, look at the components, so you can really visualize things as I explain these rules to you. In fact, in order to assist you, on the post at the guild for this episode, I'm placing two pictures, one of a player's board and one of sort of the whole board put together to really help you see what's going on with this game. So if you don't have the game, check out that post on the guild to help give you a mental picture. All right, it's time to get to the hook. <coughs> Le crochet. Uh, excuse me? Le crochet. Oh, oh, hello. Uh, bonjour. Je m'appelle Bernard. Oh, hello. Uh, hi, Bernard. Um, how are you doing? Ça va, ça boom. Et toi? Uh, I, I'm okay. Uh, let me introduce you to my listeners. Because this is a French-themed game, um, I have... Bernard here, Bernard, yes, yes, Bernard, I have Bernard here to help give you really the, the French feeling of the game. Isn't that right, Bernard? C'est vrai. Bernard is a manifestation of three years of high school French, so I, I'm sure you'll enjoy his input uh, into this experience, so thanks for coming along, Bernard. Bien sûr. Oh, this should be interesting. And now, let's get to Le Crochet. Le Crochet. Of course, Le Crochet. Part one, the hook, what the game is about. Um, Bernard, can you say welcome to Notre Dame? Bien sûr. Bienvenue au Notre Dame. Yes, thank you, Bernard. Welcome to Notre Dame. You are an influential family in charge of a borough in Paris in the 14th century. Your goal is to run your borough most effectively to become the most prestigious family in the city through the acquisition of prestige points. The player with the most prestige points will win the game. However, this is the Dark Ages. It's a troubled time. You will constantly feel the pressure of never having enough of the resources that you will need. So you have to struggle to make sure you meet your needs while still being able to somehow score prestige points. You never want to run out of money. You never want to run out of influence cubes. And you have to constantly try to reduce the number of rats in your burrow or be overcome by the plague. And somewhere in between, you need to find a way to score prestige points. There's nine turns in the game, and each turn you will do three things. You're going to take two actions by playing these action cards. And then you're going to choose one person to hire from three available choices. And that person will give you a special ability. Both the actions and the people will allow you either to get resources, reduce the amount of rats you have, or to score victory points. And the player who's best able to juggle this balancing act by not running out of resources, suppressing the rat threat, and somehow still scoring the most prestige points, will be the winner of the game. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. Alright, so we're into the meat. Bernard, how do you say meat in French? Le rose beef. The, the roast beef? Are there other kinds of meat other than roast beef? No. C'est tout le monde le roast beef. Everything's roast beef in, in France? Oui. Le roast beef, c'est fantastique. Oh, all right. I guess they like their roast beef. So let's get into the roast beef. All right. So the first thing you should probably know about Notre Dame is the basic structure of the turn. So let's get into the basics of a turn. How to play a turn. So there's nine turns, and on each turn you're going to have to make three major decisions. You're going to have to choose two actions. Deux actions. 
Thank you, Bernard. And you're going to have to choose one person. Un person. Thank you again. This is going to get annoying. Um, okay, yes, yeah, so you're going to choose two actions and you're going to choose one person. There's a little bit more to the turn. Let's look at all the phases of the turn. In a turn, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to lay out the three people that are available that turn. You're not going to choose which one you want until the end of the turn, but it's good to see which ones are available because that might affect the actions that you choose. Also, these people determine the amount of rats that are coming that turn. If you look at the bottom of these people cards, you'll total up the number of rats, and that's how many spaces you're going to have to advance on your rat track this turn. It's usually going to be between two and five. Les rats sont très mauvais. Yes, Bernard, the rats are very bad. The next phase is choosing action cards. And the way this works is really fun because it's a little mini draft. Each player has a stack of nine action cards. Those are going to get shuffled up every three turns. And you're going to get three of those nine action cards. You're going to pull the top three off the deck, and you're going to look at those three. And you're going to only get to pick one of those three. Two of them you're going to pass to the person on your left. You'll receive two more from your neighbor. You'll look at those two, choose one, pass the one remaining to the player on your left, and then you'll get passed one more card. So you'll have three cards from three different players. Those three cards are your possible actions for that turn. You're only going to use two of those three cards. But the icons on those cards tell you what you can do on that turn. So if I was going first then, say I was the start player, I would look at those three cards and decide one of them I wanted to play. I would play a card and execute that action. The player to my left then would play a card and do an action, until all players have played an action card. Then we would all play a second action card. The third action card everybody has left is just discarded. So that's how we're going to choose our two actions. Now finally, it's time to choose a person. We flipped up the three people, all with special abilities. We'll all go in turn order and spend one gold in order to use the special abilities of one of those people. So I'll choose a person, and then the player to my left can choose a person. He can choose the same one that I chose, or a different one. We're all allowed to choose one person as long as we pay one gold. Then the last significant thing that happens is we have to adjust our rat markers. Say there were four rats on the bottom of all the person cards, we'll all have to move our rat marker up four spaces. There's only ten spaces on this track. If we get past nine, we have a plague in our little village, and that's bad. Later on, I'll talk about how to reduce the amount of rats you get and what happens if a plague hits your village. Then it's time to reset the turn. You'll change the start player. Start player will go to the person on your left. We'll put up three more person cards, look at those, and prepare for what we can do that turn. Then we'll pick up the next three action cards, and we'll do the draft again. We'll choose one, pass to the left, and so on. We'll each take two actions, we'll hire a person, we'll adjust our rat markers, and then we'll do it a third time. Take two actions, hire a person, do rats. After three turns, you'll note that you've used all of your action cards once. This is the trigger to let you know that it's time to score Notre Dame. One of the actions is to place a cube in Notre Dame, and everyone who has cubes in Notre Dame is going to score some prestige points. Then we'll take all our action cards back, and we'll start the process all over again. We're going to do nine full turns, which means we're going to score Notre Dame three times. And after the ninth turn, the player with the most points will win the game. So that's the structure of the game, but now you need to know what those action cards do and what those person cards do. Let's go over those. We'll start with the action cards. The action cards. 
All right, so let's get into the action cards. Bernard, how do you say action cards? Les cartes d'action. Excellent. So it's time to talk about les cartes d'action. To do that, we need to understand how actions work. Actions depend on what the game calls influence markers. I like to call them influence cubes, well, because they're cubes. You're going to get to start the game with four of these influence cubes. Each player has a player board that's divided into seven sections. When you take an action, you place one of your influence cubes into that section. And usually that's going to relate to how powerful the action is. The more cubes in a section, the better the action becomes. For example, say I take the bank action by playing a bank action card. The first time I take that action, I put one of the cubes into the bank section. There's only one cube in that section, so I get one money or gold. I'm going to use the terms money or gold interchangeably here in this game. They both will refer to the same thing. Now the second time I take that action, maybe that'll be next turn, I play another bank card. I get another cube, I put it in that section. That section now has two cubes in it, so I collect two money. So it's good to get a lot of cubes onto that board because it generally makes your action stronger. And it's also why you don't really want to run out of cubes. Because if you run out of cubes and you only start with four, you have to just move cubes around on the board and you can't add more to the board. So that's how the actions generally work. You're going to play an action card, you're going to put a cube in that section, and the strength of that action depends on how many cubes are in that section. The first three actions are pretty simple. The cube section, the money section, and the prestige point section. They all are very basic. We have the yellow cloister section. This is the cubes action. My first action I take there, it gives me one more cube. It's not very exciting the first time because I'm basically just getting the cube back. But it lets me build up because next time I'll put one cube in there and I'll get two more cubes for my supply and so on. I'll put another cube in there and I'll get three cubes for my supply. Uh, Bernard, how do you say cube in French? Le cube. Le cube? All right, so you're going to get le cubes. The gray section is the bank, and both the area on the board and the card has a little icon on it to help you remember what it is. The bank has a little money icons on it to help you remember that's the card that gives you money. Bernard, how do you say money in French? L'argent. L'argent. Excellent. So we're going to get some l'argent. Same thing. First time I take the bank, I get one money. Second time, I get two money, and so on. There's another section, the orange section, which simply gives you prestige points. So this is an easy way to score points. Le point. Is it Bernard? Is that how you, Bernard? Is that how you say um, points in French? Oui, oui. Le point. Okay, so that'd be an excellent way to spice up your game. Every time you score points, you should say, "I score le point." Oui, oui. C'est fantastique. Le point. 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 That's enough, Bernard. We we don't need to overdo it. It's also good to note that these points or le point are always designated by a hexagonal symbol because the the tokens that you get are hexagons. So wherever you see this hexagon symbol on the cards, on the map, that's always referring to victory points. So it may seem tempting to take this point action early. You typically want to stay away from this one until the end of the game because you're going to run short of cubes and money if you don't build those up early. Now the next section is the red carriage. The carriage action lets you move your little carriage piece, which is a little carriage-shaped piece that starts on your player board, and you're able to start moving that around the board. It's really kind of ingenious and neat how all those player boards sort of fit together depending on the number of players that you have. All of those player boards are placed adjacent to each other, and they all have those little sections to place cubes. 
but in between those sections are roads, and these roads are for the carriages to move on. In the intersections of some of these spaces are what's called message tokens, and these message tokens are little goodies. They'll have victory points and maybe another bonus, like maybe you'll get a cube or money. And so one of the actions is to move your little carriage around between these intersections to go pick up these messages. When you take this the first time, you'll be able to move one space. When you take it the second time, you'll be able to move two spaces along these intersections. And each time, hopefully, you'll be able to move farther and farther to go pick up more of these little messages. You're only allowed to pick up one message each time you take this action. And if you can't pick up a message, it's probably not the best idea to take this action. Now, for each player, they're going to add four messages to the board, so those messages will run out as the game continues. The other little trick about delivering messages is you can't just pick up your own messages. Let's say we have three players, yellow, red, and blue. I could pick up a yellow message first, but after that, I can't pick up another yellow message. I have to get a red message and a blue message. I have to get one of each color before I can pick up the same color once again. So this rule forces players to have to move their carriages around the board and not just stick in one area. It also increases the competition to get at those messages first. So that's the carriage action. You move your carriage number of spaces equal to the number of cubes on that section to pick up one of those goody tokens. The different goody tokens are four prestige points, three prestige points and slide back one on the rat track, two prestige points and a cube, or one prestige point and a gold. Each player has the same four placed in a random order. Bernard, do you have any insight about carriages? Est-ce que tu aimes le pomplemousse? Le, le pomp, do I do I like the grapefruit? What does grapefruit have to do with carriages? Bernard adore le pomplemousse. Oh boy. All right, ignore that. Moving on. The next section is the brown section, the hotel. The hotel gives you some flexibility, but doesn't grow like the other actions. When you use the hotel, you can take one cube, one coin, or go back one on the rat track, but you only get to choose one. This one doesn't build up like the other ones. If you manage to get a fourth or more, then you can take two of your choice of those three options. The cube, the coin, or the rat. L'hôtel est mid. Bernard, don't, you, you can't use that kind of language. This is a, this is a family podcast. L'hôtel est mad. Well, he's he's right. The hotel is not very good, and so do yourself a favor. Don't try to get four cubes on here. It's it's just not good. The next action is called the trusted friend. The trusted friend is kind of like a wild cube. You have sort of a meeple-like token, and you can play that meeple on any action that you want to. So this little meeple, he's great because he'll go wherever you want him to. Uh, he's he's your best friend. Le meilleur ami. And that meeple always counts as a cube. So if I place my meeple into the bank and I already have two cubes there, then I would get three money. So that trusted friend can be really helpful as it gives you some flexibility. If my meeple is already on the board, say he's already in that bank section, I would then have to pick him up and move him to a different section and execute a different action. It's good because it's flexible. The bad news about the trusted friend is it doesn't let you build up, as every time you take that action, you have to move that meeple around the board. The next action is the green park section. Le parc avec le canard. Le canard? Ducks? Oui, oui. Beaucoup. Beaucoup le canard. Le canard dit quack, 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 quack. Excellent. So in France, the ducks, the ducks go quack. They don't go quack, 
this this could really add some fun to your game every time you play a cube in Le Park uh, you can go quack 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 representing the ducks that you are adding to your park thank you Bernard again for that fantastic update the park has two functions first whenever you put a cube into the park you go back once on the rat track the second function is for every two cubes you have into the park you get bonus points let's say I managed to get two cubes in the park now I'm eligible for bonus points every time I score points for any reason I get one additional point this is a very nice thing and so on if I get four cubes into the park I'm eligible for two bonus points every time I score points within the game I'm gonna get two extra points and so on for six eight ten and so on every two cubes gives me one more bonus point every time I score points this is a very great function for scoring points but by going here you don't get a lot of help in getting cubes or money or long-term help with the rats speaking of long-term help with rats let's look at the blue hospital section at the hospital um, you know they they really work on those diseases because I don't know they probably come up with some sort of medicine um, do you have any French medicine that you think maybe fights off rats Le roast beef the, the roast roast beef Le roast beef say fantastic oh they must they must really like roast beef in in Paris I gotta get a new interpreter the blue hospital section also has two functions and it's really focused on dealing with rats when you go in the hospital you immediately lose one rat also the hospital subtracts its value from the rat gain each turn so say four rats were coming and I had two cubes in the hospital I would get to do four minus two I would only have to move up two spaces on the rat track where everyone else would have to move up four spaces and the hospital continues to do this every turn you always get to subtract the number of cubes in your hospital from the amount of rats that are coming and when you place a cube into that hospital you lose one rat on the rat track immediately though be aware this sliding back on the rat track isn't cumulative what you are gaining on is your ability to deal with the rats each turn if you get three cubes in that hospital you're minus three from the amount of rats that are coming each turn that's very strong it's, it would be very hard for you to max out on the rat track so the hospital is a very important section the last possible action is Notre Dame what this lets you do is put a cube in the central tile there which shows Notre Dame when you do that you have to contribute money to Notre Dame you're gonna contribute one two or three gold and for doing that you're going to receive immediately one three or six victory points also at the end of every three turns whoever has cubes in Notre Dame is gonna receive points but when you go to Notre Dame you pay one two or three money you have to have money if you don't you're just gonna forfeit your action and then you would receive one three or six victory points respectively and then when we score Notre Dame you'll receive some amount of points based on how many people go to Notre Dame we'll talk more about that Notre Dame scoring later but those are all the actions you're gonna do two of them each turn and usually they get cumulatively better the more cubes you have in that section the yellow cloister gives you cubes the gray bank gives you more money the orange residence gives you prestige points the red carriage lets you move that carriage token around to let you get those little goodie tokens that can give you points and some other rewards the brown hotel gives you either a cube a coin or minus a rat the trusted friend is that meeple who's a wild cube the park lets you slide back one and can give you bonus points the hospital lets you slide back one rat and it reduces the rat gain every turn 
and Notre Dame is donating money for victory points. We'll all go around twice in turn order, choosing one of those three cards to play. And then it's time to choose from one of the three people who are available this turn. Let's talk about the person cards. The person cards. So you're going to perform those two actions by playing two action cards. And then there will be three person cards available each round. And each player will get to choose one of those. It costs one gold to hire a person. And if you have no gold, then you don't get to use this ability. And that's why you never want to run out of money. You need to have at least one gold at the end of the turn. Because you want to be able to do one of these abilities because they're really nice. We need to think about how these cards are distributed. There's two types of cards. Brown cards and gray cards. And every turn there'll be two brown cards and one gray card available for you to choose from. De cat brun et une cat gris. You got it. Two brown cards and one gray card. Now the brown cards come out over and over again. There's only six of them, and you're going to pick two of the six that come out each turn. So on turns one to three, four to six, and seven to nine, you're going to see each of those brown cards one time. So you'll see each of those brown cards a total of three times during the game. The gray cards work a little bit different. Each gray card will only show up once. And the gray cards are staged so that you'll see them either at the beginning, middle, or end of the game. There's A cards, B cards, and C cards. You'll see the A cards in turn 1, 2, or 3, the B cards in turns 4, 5, and 6, and the C cards in turns 7, 8, and 9. You don't know in what order because they'll be mixed up. The difference between the brown cards and the gray cards is usually the brown cards just give you stuff. They give you more cubes or money, typically. And the gray cards are typically scoring cards, which score based on some certain condition. So this is the tough decision. You'll have to decide whether you want to take one of those cards that's just going to give you more stuff to help you survive, or if you're at a stable enough point, or you're at a good point where you can take the gray card and score some points. Let's look at these person cards in more detail. First, the brown cards. Like I said, typically the brown cards just sort of get you stuff. They don't really score you a lot of points. And you're going to see each of these three times throughout the game. Les cartes brunes sont pour les cubes et l'argent. Well, that's right, Bernard. The brown cards are for cubes and money, and also to help you deal with the rats, mostly. And you'll see on the card it has a hexagonal icon. Whenever you see that hexagon icon, that always means victory points. So we have the money lender, which is two gold coins and a point. We have the monk, which is two influence cubes and a point. We have the hostess, which will give you three victory points and your choice of either a coin, a cube, or slide back one on the rat track. Then we have the doctor. The doctor makes the rat value zero, regardless of how many total rats are showing up that turn. So actually, if you have hospitals, this will allow you to slide backwards on the rat track, which is very nice, because if you make the rat track zero, you have a hospital value of two, then your rat value would be negative two, and you'd actually get to slide backwards. This is a really good way to control your rat problem. The last two brown cards let you move cubes, but they work a little bit differently. First, the fool. It lets you move one cube and activate the section it's in. So, for example, I could pick up one cube from my gold section and move it into my cube section and then activate it and take the action there. The minstrel lets you move from one to three cubes from one section to another, but you don't get to take any action. Now, this can be powerful because this can make one of your actions really strong. For example, I might take three cubes from my money section and put it into my point section. 
Now I've got three cubes there, and the next time I put a cube in there, that's going to let me score four points. But remember, this guy does not let you take the action. He simply lets you shift cubes from one section to another. You can't shift cubes into Notre Dame. You can shift the trusted friend, the little meeple. You can count him as one of the cubes you want to move if, if you want to. So those are the brown cards. Let's talk about the silver cards. A, B, and C. <clears throat> oh, that's right. Gray, not silver. Sorry. First, the A cards will show up in the first three turns. Almost all of these gray cards score you points in some way or another. Les cartes grises sont pour des points. Exactly, Bernard. The gray cards are for the points. First of all, the A cards. We have the city guard. This is going to get a point for every cube you have on the board. Which sounds good, but, you know, since it's the beginning of the game, you're only going to get at most six points out of this. Next, we have the Night Watchman. Gives you a point for every empty section you have on the board. Since the beginning of the game, you might have five or six sections empty. That could give you a lot of points. And finally, in the A section, we have the Bishop. The Bishop lets you take a cube out of the general supply and put it in an empty section in your burrow and do the action, which can be very useful. I almost always take this guy because you get it from the general supply, and it really helps you build up in the early game. Next, the B-period great cards. These are the ones that will come up in the mid-game. We have the Beggar King. He gives you a point for every empty space on your rat track after your rat marker. So if your rat marker was on 6, 7, 8, and 9 would be open, you'd get 3 points. If you're really focused on hospitals, this would be a good card. Next, we have the Advocate. This guy gives you 3 points for every 2 messages you have. Typically, this isn't that great because the most you're probably going to be able to get is four messages by the middle of the game, which then would score you six points, which would be okay. But then we have the all-important Guildmaster. The Guildmaster gives you two points for every section on your board that you have at least two cubes. Now, it's pretty easy to have four or five sections with at least two cubes in them, and this would be an easy eight to ten points, so prepare for this guy in the mid-game. In the late game, in turns 7, 8, and 9, you're going to see these three cards. We have the Lady of the Court. She gives you points equal to the number of cubes in your section with the most cubes. So say the section I have the most in is the bank. I have five cubes there, so I would get five points if I took the Lady of the Court. Next is the Carpenter. The Carpenter is sort of the opposite of that. It gives you a point for every section that you have at least one cube in. So if I have, say, five sections with at least a cube in, I would get five points. And lastly, the very important mayor. The mayor gives you three points for every section that you have at least three cubes. This guy is very important because if you're preparing for him, it's possible to have five, six sections that have th three cubes in them, which will allow you to score 15 or 18 points with this one card. So be ready for this guy because he can score you a ton of points. Now, ideally, you'll know what all these cards are and be expecting which ones that are going to come up. In your first play, this is not going to happen, but the more you play this game, the better it gets as you can sort of plan ahead for these cards that you know are about to show up. But those are the person cards. Remember, there's going to be three available, two brown, one gray. You have to have one money to buy one, and they either get you stuff or score you points, and you have to make that crucial decision of which one you want to take. Don't be out of money so that you don't get one. Let's wrap up with a review and those little things I haven't quite gotten to yet. A final review. So let's look at the whole game one more time. At the beginning of each turn, we're going to flip over the three-person cards. 
will have one gray point scoring card and, and two brown cards. This is important for two reasons. You're going to want to see what abilities are available to you at the end of the turn, and you're going to want to know how many rats are coming at the end of the turn. So total that up and take mental note of that. Then we draft the action cards. Each player will pick up three, choose the one they want, and pass the other to the left, pick up the two they were passed, choose one of those, and pass the remaining one to their left. So you'll have three different colored cards. Then, starting with the starting player, each player will play an action card and execute that action. And we'll go around and do that twice. Then, in turn order, each player will declare which person they're going to hire, pay one gold, and take the ability. Then, it's plague time. I haven't talked much in detail about how this plague works. But we look for the total in the three persons, how many rats are coming. Each player will subtract from that number the amount of cubes they have in their hospital and move their rat marker to the right that many spaces. As long as you're at nine or less, you're okay. If you go over nine and the rat marker arrives at that ship space, the plague has arrived in your burrow. You're penalized for this in two ways. You have to pay two prestige points and you have to lose a cube and remove it back to the general supply in the area that you have the most cubes. If you have more than one area with the most cubes, you get to choose which cube gets lost. But that's important. It has to come from the area where you have the most cubes because usually that's the most painful. Then my rat marker doesn't restart. It simply goes back to nine. So you still have rat problems and you're going to have to deal with them somehow. So whereas getting the plague is bad, it's definitely not the end of the world. A player can still recover having gotten the plague once or twice in their village. Then you're ready to start another turn. You'll move the start player one person to the left. You'll throw out three more person cards. People pick up their action cards. They'll do a draft and so on. At the end of the third, sixth, and ninth turn, we'll score Notre Dame. The scoring for Notre Dame is very simple. There's amount of points available for Notre Dame scoring, depending on the number of players. For example, in a four-player game, Notre Dame is worth 10 points every time it's scored. And you simply divide that number of points with the number of cubes there. So if there was a red cube and a blue cube there, red would get five points and blue would get five points. If there are three cubes there, two red and a blue, you'd divide that by three and round down. So each cube would be worth three points. So red in this case would get six points and blue would get three points. Now after you score Notre Dame, one of the bummers is that the, the cubes on Notre Dame then go immediately back to the general supply and you have to get them back again. After the first Notre Dame scoring, you just go on to turn four. Everybody takes their action cards back. They shuffle them up. We put three more person cards. Of course, we would be in the B gray cards now. And uh, we would drop three more cards. We'd draft them again and we would continue. And we'll go through the B people, we'd score Notre Dame again. We'd go through the C people, we'd score Notre Dame again. And at the end of turn nine, the player with the most points is the winner of the game. Part three, the hamster. How to win the game. So the trick of this game is simple. Always have enough cubes, always have enough money, don't get plagued, and somehow still find a way to score points. Let me give you a few tips for how to do that. I recommend starting the game by trying to get either a lot of cubes or a lot of money. Because if you, at least if you take care of one of these needs, then you can focus on getting the other things you need to get later on. It's good to try to stabilize your position early in the game so that you can focus on getting points more later in the game. 
One thing that's really important for stabilizing is the hospital. You'll probably want to get at least two cubes in there by the mid-game so that those rat advancements that happen every turn aren't quite so painful. Once you get three cubes in the hospital, you'll be in pretty good shape for dealing with rats. I also recommend in the early game try to get lots of cubes on the board. Try to build up those actions, especially the cube action, the gold action, and the hospital action, as that will help build up your power for getting those resources and protection from the rats. Use sparingly that brown hotel action, l'hôtel et mid, whereas it gives you a little bit of flexibility. You pay for it in giving you no long-term benefit at all. It's okay once in a while, but try to avoid it. Notre Dame can give you a lot of points if no one else is getting there, but keep in mind Notre Dame doesn't give you any help in dealing with the crucial resources you need throughout the early and mid-game. So beware committing too much to Notre Dame, especially in those A and B rounds. But then again, if no one's going there, it could be a ton of points. Next, you need to think of a strategy for how you're going to be able to score some points. There's a lot of different avenues to go down in which to score points, which makes this such a fun game. Let me give you a few suggestions for a route that you might decide to go down. The bonus points from the park is a very viable strategy. Quack, 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 quack. And there's a couple ways to go about that. I want to remind you that every two cubes that you have in the park is going to give you a bonus point whenever you score points. That means when you choose a person and you score points, you get the bonus points. When you contribute to Notre Dame, you score bonus points. When the Notre Dame is scored, you again get bonus points. When you take the residence action that gives you points, you get bonus points. So that part can be very handy if you can get a few cubes in there. Even if you can get four cubes, then you'll be really rocking it. So you could focus on the park and then pick another way to combine with the park. An easy combination is to go park and then try to contribute to Notre Dame because Notre Dame effectively doubles those bonus points because you get bonus points when you contribute to Notre Dame and you get bonus points when Notre Dame is scored. The park also works nicely with a carriage strategy. If you think you want to focus on those carriages and pick up all those goodies all around the board, getting a couple cubes in the park is nice because whenever you get a carriage token, you're going to get a bonus point. But the park isn't the only avenue to go down. If you focus really on the hospital, that will help you really stabilize things. And then you can really work towards those great point scoring person cards. Especially the Guildmaster, who gives you two points for every two cubes in a section, and the Mayor, that gives you three points for every three cubes in a section. So you could really focus on getting ready for those cards to score a whole ton of points. Another possible route is the Residence. The Residence is the section on the board that simply scores you points. Le point, 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 point. And so you could build your early game stabilizing and getting the resources you need. And then about the mid game, focus on getting as many cubes as you can into that resident section to be able to take that action. When you take it, you might be able to score six or seven or even eight points by putting a single cube in there. Some of those special people like the fool and the minstrel might help you bring cubes into that point scoring section. And although you may get so focused on doing what you're doing, dealing with your issues and trying to score the most points, don't forget that this is a multiplayer game, and it can be very handy to be looking at what the other players are doing. You want to, as I always say, do what the other players aren't doing. Because in this case, it's going to give you several advantages. You're probably going to get action cards fed to you that they don't want, because it's not the strategy that they're looking at. If you go carriages and no one else gets carriages, you'll be able to scoop up all those little message tokens. If nobody wants to contribute to Notre Dame, be the guy who does that. And the other reasons you want to be aware of what the other players are doing is in that draft. 
Sometimes it's a good strategy in this drafting phase to play a defensive game. If you know your opponent to your left is going hard on residence cubes, the one that gives you points, you might not want to pass them that card. Of course, you have to do that at the expense of keeping a card that maybe really doesn't help you that much. But such are the agonizing decisions in this game. And that's what I love about this game. There are so many conflicting elements, so many things pulling you one way or the other. The designer did an amazing job. You have this pull on you that says it's good to specialize in something, yet you need everything. You have the pull of doing the things that you want to do, yet you have to be aware of what the other players are doing, and you have the possibility to prevent them from getting certain cards if you want. You have to make that agonizing choice of whether you can get away with scoring with that gray card or whether you just have to submit and take the brown card and take a couple of cubes. There's so many difficult decisions and such a great strategic game here. I hope you have a great time playing Notre Dame. Well, do you have anything else to say, Bernard, as we wrap this up? Tu es mon petit capot. That's very nice. J'aime le roast beef. Okay, yep, we got it. You enjoy roast beef. Le roast beef. Thanks, we got it. Say goodbye, Bernard. Au revoir, mes amis. Bonne chance. Part four, footnotes and musings. All right, so first let's get to the vegetables. A few little rules that's important to know. Uh, In the drafting, you can't pass a card that you kept. So once I decide to keep a card, I can't later change my mind and give away that same card. And one way to check that is at the end of each turn, assuming you're playing with three or more players, you should have three different colors of cards. That trusted friend, remember he's a wild cube. Remember he's that meatball who's kind of a wild cube. He has to go somewhere different than where he was. You can't keep him there and do the same action. You have to move him to a different section. He, of course, can't go to Notre Dame. He has to go to one of those other sections there on your player board. Remember that the trusted friend always acts like a cube. He scores as if he is a cube. He can be moved as if he is a cube, and so on. Another important vegetable of note is that the influence cubes are limited to the ones that you have. And it is quite common to run out of them. So be aware of when you're maxing out of getting all the possible cubes. Now, it's possible to get some back through getting them back through Notre Dame or having them die from rat death. But be aware that once you use all your cubes, you're not going to get any more. And that can be an issue. Remember that if you are out of cubes, either just in your personal supply or overall, because if you just used all your cubes, you are allowed to move one of your cubes that's already on the board when you play an action card to execute an action. You don't have to forfeit your actions. You can also choose to forfeit your action. That's up to you. This is a bad situation to be in, but usually the best course is probably just to move one of the ones you have on the board. That isn't doing much for you. Don't forget about the carriage rule. If you're playing with four players, for example, when you pick up those message tokens, I have to pick up a red, blue, green, and yellow one. I pick up four different colors of message tokens before I can pick up the same colored one. And when you score Notre Dame, and that number changes depending on the number of players. And when you divide that up, you do a round down. Don't forget that. If you have a tie at the end, which is probably a, a pretty likely scenario, as you don't get a whole ton of points, 
when you first start, you'll probably score, I don't know, you might score 20 or so if you really have a hard time of it, but you'll probably score about 40, between 40 and 50 when you start learning the game. A good score for people who, who played the game a lot is something above 60, but a tiebreaker is the money and cubes you have in your personal supply. You add those up, and whoever has the most would be the winner then. It does play with two-player, but you have to make a few changes to the game. You're going to set the board up like a four-player board. Uh, you're only going to play on two of those, but the reason you set up for a four-player board is for the carriages to work. You move your carriages around as if it were a four-player game, and you still have to move all the way around and collect four different colors if, if you're playing with four players. The draft works a little bit different. When I have three cards, I will pass two, and then I'll get two, and then I will pass one to my opponent. And in this way, it's possible to get one of your cards back. This version of the game pretty much works. Uh, one of the nice things is that the defensive element is a little bit more important. It's, it's a little bit rewards you if you want to deny your opponent a certain card. But the carriage system, the, you know, the, the messages don't really disappear from the main board. And the draft, sometimes it's nicer to just get a greater variety of the cards as, as the draft goes. But it's pretty good, the two-player game. I would prefer to play it, I would say, with three to four players, because then you, you really more get the game as the game was designed to be played. But that's it. Those are all my vegetables. It's time for today's musings. In this game, you're confronted with a plague. There's terrible disease overcoming the people of your villages. Well, I want to talk about a plague we have in our gamer community. And this plague I am dubbing monoplayism. That's right monoplayism. Do you have gamers in your group who suffer from monoplayism? Or are you, in fact, one of these terrible sufferers of this disease? Common behaviors from sufferers of this disease might include people who buy far more games than they'll ever actually be able to play, people who refuse to bring the same game twice to game night, and people when you ask the question, oh, can we play that again? They laugh as if in mock amusement. I have so many games to play, how could we play this one again? We have so many games coming out so fast. For example, this recent Essen, 700 more games are coming out. 700! How am I ever going to play 700? Bruno Fiduti, a famed designer, and he has an excellent website where he describes his ideal game library and he writes articles about games, wrote an excellent article called Too Many Too Fast about the speed that all these games are coming out of and just the impossible task of trying to digest all of these games that are coming at us at once. And I think that sadly, monoplayism is becoming the result of trying to handle this massive amount of games that's coming out at us. So what is monoplayism? Well, I'm glad you ask. It's a fake disease that I am defining thusly. Monoplayism is defined as a person who doesn't want to play the same game more than one time. You know, I've, I've played a game and immediately afterwards I say, you know, let's play that again. And they'll say, oh, what, you mean next week or, you know, next month? No, like right now, like it's all set up, let's, let's play it again. This is just not something that happens. Though I think really, if you're going to dive into one of these games, I think that that is the best case scenario for so many of these games. You start playing it, 
you play a teaching game, and players won't do very well because they're really just learning the rules and mechanics of the game. And in this case, in the case of Notre Dame, you'd just be learning what the actions do, how they interact, what the cards do, how they interact, and players generally are not going to do very well. And by one game of Notre Dame, you're, you're not going to get the experience. This is a game that needs to be, that's begging to be played multiple times in a row. And the more you play it, the better it gets because you'll be able to experiment with different strategies. You'll be able to anticipate cards coming up. This is a game that if you really want to get into it, it deserves playing it 10, 20 times. Like I said, I've played it over 100 times and I still enjoy playing the game. Now there are some games that are better as sort of a one-of experience. And particularly, these are generally some, some experience games. You know, something like Shadows Over Camelot. I would never really want to play that back-to-back. -back. You know, or I have a, a soccer simulation game called the World Cup Game, which is you know, sort of a fun simulation. You know, it takes about three hours, but it's a pretty light game and not too much strategy to it, but it's more of an experience game. So you play it once and everybody has a good time and maybe you break it out again in, in another year or so. And there are a lot of games that just, frankly, they're not good enough. They don't deserve more than one play. But then you have these great strategy games. And I'm referring to a lot of these deep strategy games, a lot of them that I've covered here on How to Play. I'm talking about games like Kalis, Lahav, Agricola, Age of Steam, Goa, Reef Encounter, Tigris, Age of Empires, Puerto Rico, and a lot more, including this game, Notre Dame. These games are all about really getting into the game, digging in, and getting better every time you play them. All those games that I mentioned have a real serious learning curve that you can really explore and have a lot of fun with. But you're not going to get into those if you suffer from monoplayism. If you do suffer from monoplayism, this is my challenge to you. Play a game ten times. Have you ever played a game ten times? I'm serious. Is there a game that's over an hour that you've played ten times? Pick one of those games that I just mentioned, or another deep strategy game of your choice, and I challenge you to play it ten times. And I will bet that you'll have just a satisfying experience, if not more, than have played 10 different games. I guess it really depends on what you, what you enjoy and what you get out of playing games. For me, I really love getting better at games, really figuring out the strategies and figuring out how to optimize those strategies to play it very well. I do enjoy learning games as well, but we definitely do that enough in our hobby. I think what we don't do enough of is challenge ourselves to really get better at some of these great games. And that's always been my quest here at How to Play. Play great games more often. I hope you'll accept my 10-game challenge, and I hope that you will help become part of the solution to fight monoplayism. I dare you to play a game at your game night and then say, All right, you want to try it again? Play a game back-to-back, -back, the same game. I know, this sounds completely crazy and completely nuts, but I bet you'll have a great time. Another great way to facilitate this in your game group is to form an organized league of some kind. That's one way we really got into Age of Steam, was by starting to keep track of scores and making it count, you know, for whatever points count and you know we kept track from game to game of people's scores and tallied scores and had standings and we also kept session reports of all the games and it really just allowed us to get deep into that game 
explore it. Everyone knew the game, everyone got good at the game, and now we have a solid group of Age of Steam players, and every time we break it out, it's still one of the most fun games, because everyone knows the game well, and it means it's going to lead to an exciting, engaging game. I hope you'll join me in my quest against monoplayism, and play some great games more often. Speaking of great games, let's talk about some great games from a great designer, Stefan Feld. I really bet you'll love this game, Notre Dame. It's a great game. And Stefan Feld, I've really enjoyed the designs that he's put out over the last five or so years. Stefan Feld is a relatively new designer on the game scene. His first big splash was probably in 2005 with the game Roma. But over the last five, six years, he's really contributed some wonderful games to our hobby. And I want to just take a few moments to give you a few overviews and my opinions of, of some of these games by this great designer, Stefan Feld. There's a couple things I enjoy about Stefan Feld designs. The first thing is, Stefan Feld is a magic player. He's talked before about how you know he used to play competitive magic. I, I played a lot of competitive magic, and I can see the influence that magic has had on a lot of his designs, whether it's incorporating the drafting element, allowing players to try to figure out interesting combinations between elements in a game. I, I can see that magic has inspired some of the mechanics in his games. The second thing I love about his games is the tension he includes in those games. Typically, his games are characterized with scarcity. Scarcity of resources, scarcity of time, feeling like you're constantly on the edge and could be just destroyed at any moment. Now, some people find that not quite as fun. For me, I really enjoy that tension. I enjoy that, you know, trying to claw my way out. You know, that's part of the Age of Steam thing that I'm in love with that some people just don't care for. You know, that feeling like, can I get out of this hole? And that's what these games are all about, trying to optimize the best decision in order to survive your way through the game. I guess if that's something that you enjoy, Stefan Feld is something that you're going to love just like me. That's found in this game and trying to stay away from the rats and have enough cubes and money and just trying to find a way to still score points. And you'll see that in some of his other games as well. I mentioned in 2005, Stefan Feld's first big release was the game Roma. This is a two-player card dice game. It's kind of It's a very unique game, and my wife and I have really enjoyed playing it. It uses a very interesting mechanic. You have the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 laid out on the board. And you're allowed to build things and place them next to those numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And each turn you're able to roll three dice. For each die roll you're allowed to either take that many cards, take that much gold, or activate the card that is on that number. So that allows for some very interesting choices. And you're trying to eliminate players' cards off of those, those areas and build up cards on your own side. And there's ways to score victory points. It has some very unique mechanics. The way the cards work in it feels very much kind of like a game of magic, yet completely different. It's a lot of fun. If you're looking for a good two-player spouse game or just a good two-player game in general, this is a great one. A few years later, he came out with a sequel for that, Roma 2. And that was just sort of okay. If you really love Roma, you should get Roma 2 and just mix it in. It's supposed to be playable all by itself, but I find the cards just a little bit too funky and just a little bit too far from the base game. I think if you're looking at this one, just get Roma. See if you love it. If you love it, then pick up Roma 2 to go with it. The other game that Stefan came out with in 2007 is called In the Year of the Dragon. This is a fantastic game, and... 
I wouldn't be surprised if I did this as another How to Play episode sometime in the future. But this game is all about disaster management. You have to build up resources. You know the disasters that are upcoming. And these disasters are going to cause you to lose resources. And you have to find a way to decide you know, how you're going to best manage these upcoming disasters. And still somehow find a way to score points. If you like that tension of always feeling under the gun, you'll really enjoy this one. I think it's just brilliant. Check it out, In the Year of the Dragon. More recently, Stefan came out with a, another very interesting dice mechanic, which he used in the game Macau. The dice mechanic that he uses in the game is just brilliant. At a fundamental level, what you're doing is a player's rolling six dice, and all the players are basically deciding whether they want to, if you're going to take a six, you're going to get a lot of resources later, and if you take a one or two, you're going to have the resources now that you probably need to do the things now. So you have, again, those combating tensions. I would like more resources, but there's a couple things that I need really right now, and that's really neat. The production of the game, uh, I wasn't real happy with how the game looked, how it was converted into English. I think the cards could have been done a lot better. You know, that would be my one gripe about the game. It's also another one of these games, the first time you play it, you're going to be looking at the cards, figuring out how the cards interact. If you suffer from monoplayism, you should not play this game. Because this is a game you're going to have to play a few times in order to really get the feel for. And I've just had a chance to play it once, I enjoyed it, I have to give it a couple more goes. Macau. But I'd say right now it's probably third after In the Year of the Dragon and Notre Dame. And just this last year in 2010, Stefan released a fantastic, simple, elegant game called Die Speakerstadt. This is a game that combines the ideas of an auction game and a worker placement game. Several cards are put out available for the players to win each round, and how they win them is by placing their workers, as you would in a worker placement game, and essentially what they're doing is putting in a stake in an auction, and the more workers that end up on a card the higher the price for that card becomes. The first one there is going to have first option to take that action, but he has to pay as much money as the number of people that are in that line. And then if he passes on that, then the next person has the option and they'll get to pay less. It's a short game, it's about an hour, but it's brilliant, brilliant. It's, you know, you call it, talk about a super filler game that sort of fits in that category. It's not real deep, but it's really fun for what it is. So if you're looking for a multiplayer game to fit in that 45 minutes to an hour time frame, check out Die Speakerstadt. I'm starting to realize I used the word brilliant about a hundred times to describe Steffenfeld's games, but so many of his mechanics and the combinations of those mechanics are just, well, brilliant. He's had a few other games that haven't gone over quite as well. Uh, Rum and Pirates, I haven't tried it because I haven't heard really good things about it. In the Name of the Rose is supposed to be a, an average deduction game. Builder's Duel is a little two-player game based on the Pillars of the Earth series. And apparently a, a new Aaliyah game is coming out called The Bergen von Bergen. I have no idea what that's about. Um, it sounds like it's about Bergen's. So we'll have to look into that when that one comes out. So I hope that you will explore some of the great contributions that Stefan Feld has made to our hobby. He's really put out some great games. 
for sure, for sure, check out Roma, Notre Dame, and In the Year of the Dragon. Those are three of my favorites. And I can't wait to see what Stefan Feld is going to bring to us in the future. Stefan, by the way, you're welcome on How to Play. Just drop me a line, and, and I'd be happy, very pleased to do an interview, maybe for that In the Year of the Dragon episode. This is going to about wrap things up for episode 23. It's time for the arduous and exciting task of podcast editing. I hope that you'll dig into this great game and enjoy it. I'll look forward to putting out another episode for you there in December. I know I have one game in my sights, a recent game that is right up my alley that came out recently, and maybe you can guess what it is. It's really lit a fire under me. It's, it's going to be one of my favorite games. That's definitely on my list. I'm definitely also looking at the how to play request list, and there's a few games on there I definitely want to get to. So if you haven't had a chance to contribute to that list, go on over, head over to that, and add to that. One last small plea is that the how to play podcast PayPal donation box has been uh, cricket quiet over the last few months, you know. Podcast just takes a lot of time and a little bit of money, and I'm happy to put in that lot of time. A one-hour episode takes me about 10 hours to produce, and hopefully you can show your support by throwing in a little bit of money. It takes about 20 bucks a month to keep the show afloat, and so if you could sponsor a month, I would greatly appreciate it. But that's all I've got for you for now. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And if it's not Thanksgiving anymore, well then, happy whatever holiday is upcoming next. You fill in the blank. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I really appreciate all your comments and all your support. And we'll see you next time. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern from the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is a one-man, independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own, and that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Escatuem la pamplemousse. Tu es un petit capo. Oui, oui.